And this morning we look at perhaps the most famous passage in the Gospel of Luke and perhaps all of Scripture in the prodigal son. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Luke chapter 15. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property among them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. And is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me 
a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your younger brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, the passage before us this morning is a well-known one. It is a dramatic story, is it not? It is something that we can almost visualize in our mind as we hear it. And we, at various points in our life and in various circumstances, we identify with various of the characters. But we have to remember that this story does not occur in a vacuum. It's not even alone in this chapter. You see... This story is not here to teach us about what kind of person we are or should be. This story is the climax. It is the building up. It is the crescendo of the answer to the attack on Jesus. Built into the question, why do you receive and eat with sinners? One commentator has put it, I think, very helpfully. These three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, are like the same music played by three different instruments. There is a unity of purpose to them, but there is also a distinctness that allows us to learn. This morning we will look at this passage that comes to us very obviously in the persons of three characters. First, the younger son. Second, the father. And then third, the elder son. And as we look at this text, by God's grace we will learn the joy of the Lord in receiving sinners and the hope that we have as sinners who are received. Let's begin then by looking at the younger son. The younger son comes into our view and he is one who is lost. He is lost and he is broken. We see this immediately. Jesus goes right into the story. There is no long prelude. He says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, what exactly is going on here? We have to, we have to understand that there were provisions for inheritance in the law. Today, what we inherit is what someone writes down in their will. And we all have to be careful that we have a good and a proper will and it's properly witnessed and, and documented and saved so that The right things go to the right people. Not so back then. What would happen is, each son would receive a share of the father's property, and the oldest son would receive a double share. 
So the shares would vary based on how many sons, but in this case, our good Lord has been helpful, and even I can do the math. Two sons, one gets twice as much, so that means that the father's property would be divided two-thirds and one-third. This is something that everyone would know. Now, it is not necessarily against the law to want to be secure in your inheritance. The book of Deuteronomy actually tells what it should be. There's a provision in Deuteronomy 21 that talks about allowing the son to know exactly what he is to get. But as we drill down into this request, there's much more here than money involved. You see, the son knows something is his, but what he's asking for is, he says, I want it, and I want it now. I don't want to wait. I don't just want to know what I'm going to get. I don't just want to hold it in trust. I just don't want to have it, and you, Father, can live off the proceeds until you die. I want you to give it all to me, lock, stock, and barrel, so I can be free and do whatever I want, and you can't tell me what to do. And there's still another layer. Because you see, what's in that request, it might as well be said, is, Dad, give me my stuff. Why aren't you dead already? Why are you living so long that I have to wait for my stuff? As a matter of fact, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I'd already have my stuff. So why don't you do the least thing you can do and just give it to me so I can leave? You see, it's not just about the material goods here. There is a problem of the heart. There is a brokenness. Now, why is this important? I dare say that many of us, as we come to the parable of the prodigal son, we think the prodigal son gets lost when he leaves. But that's not true. The prodigal son is lost before he goes. His heart is lost. He is distanced from his family. He has no need for his father. He does not desire a relationship. And there's evidence of his lostness in the middle of this. You see it in his selfishness. He's only concerned about himself. You see it in his ingratitude. It's his father who has worked for all of this property. Not even a thank you. We see it in his rebellion that he wants to be free from his father and his influence. And we see it in his greed. But most and foremost, we see it, his lostness, evidenced in him not knowing the love of his father. You see... What's going on here is far more than a division of property. What's going on here is evidence of a broken relationship. The son does not really know his father. Does not really know or trust his father. He wants to put all of his own needs first. And if we think about it, this is what true lostness is. True lostness in the world is not knowing and loving the Father. Not knowing the love of the Father. And we are tempted all the time to get lost in this way. To put our demands on God. That God should give us what we want when we want it. 
If we don't have enough money, it's God's fault. If we're not married yet, it's God's fault. He hasn't sent me the person. If our marriage isn't what we want it to be, it's God's fault. He should be fixing them. We want to call the shots. We want God to be at our back and command. We want God to be a resource for us, much like the younger son. Perhaps the most concise way to describe it is we come to a place where we want the gifts, but not the giver. We're concerned about what we can have, but not who we are. And so the younger son is already lost and broken before he takes a step out the door. But the younger son does indeed go out the door, doesn't he? He doesn't just remain lost and broken. He moves to a state of being lost and helpless. There is a shocking response of the father to the son's request. The son has asked for something that is completely inappropriate, in an inappropriate way. As a matter of fact, the father would be completely within his rights of taking the son to the authorities, to the elders of the village, and saying, I have a disobedient and rebellious son. Listen to what he did to me. Please put him to death. And they would have done it. So how does the father respond to this harsh request? Well, we see in verse 12 that the father divided his property between them, between the two sons. This is the last thing that we would expect if we're honest with ourselves. As we stand and sit here, we would say to ourselves, there is no way I would do that. I would take him out to the woodshed. He would see who's boss. What does the father do here? Well, he divides all this up. And then the next verse, we see the son move yet further down the path. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had. And he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what the son does is he gets all of the stuff that he wants. But that's not enough. He gathers it up and goes on a journey. Now, what Luke means here, what the Greek says here, is that he is taking everything that the father has given to him. Now, remember who the father is. This is rural Israel. The father's property are animals, land, perhaps uh, silver or gold or metals. He does not have a checkbook. He does not have a stack of $1,000 bills. And as soon as the son gets his hands on these things, he gathers them up. What he does is he liquidates them as fast as he can. Now imagine this. If you are the father, you have just graciously and humbly acceded to this ridiculous request. And you have three cars. And you give your son a car. Three new cars, you give him one. And he calls all the people of the village, calls everyone he knows, and he says, listen, I've got to get out of here. I've got a car. Who will give me $2,000 for this? $1,500. Brand new car, $1,500. Oh, look, I have Dad's iPad. Who will give me $25 for that? It's a fire sale. 
doesn't even care about the property. He just wants to get out. So not only has he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I want to get away from you so fast that I'm not even going to get the right value of what I own. And he gathers it all up and he goes because he wants to be free. There's a good deal of property here. We know that the father is wealthy enough to have land, to have servants, to have animals, to have a house or a place big enough for a celebration for a whole village. And the son gathers it all up and runs away. You see, because he wants to be free. And when he is free, he then begins to celebrate and enjoy sin for a season, the authors, the Hebrews would tell us. He's free from any restraint. You see, that's what he's wanted. He doesn't want dad telling him what to do. He doesn't want to hear what's in his best interest. He doesn't want to hear what's the right thing. And so he goes and he spends his all of his inheritance in reckless living. Now, what is meant there by reckless living is luxurious living beyond one's means. Now, picture this again. You do realize that any of you could live like a millionaire for like a day and a half. And then you'd have nothing left. Right? That's really the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. It's how long can you live like that? So the son has decided, I'm going to live like I have everything. Like I'm my father. Like I've worked my whole life. Like I've got it all together. And what happens is exactly what we would expect He burns through everything he has. He squanders what has been given to him. Now, before we too quickly jump on the younger son, stop and think about what you squander. The treasure that God has given you. Perhaps even more. The talent that God has given you. Now, can you escape this? Even the time that God has given to you. You see, it all comes from the Lord. Are you aware of it? Are you thankful for it? Do you use it wisely? You see, here we see a picture of squandering because the son doesn't really care about the stuff, doesn't care about his father. And then what happens is he moves to this state of hopelessness, it's all gone. And God, in His kind providence, sends a famine. Now, I imagine if we were in the midst of a famine, we would not think, how wonderful of God to send a famine. You think I'm lying? Stand right now, or sit right now, and say in your heart, I am so glad God has cut the price of oil in half. How wonderful God is. But you see, here we can see the end of the story and we see that God is working in the life of this younger son. Because you see, because there's a famine, he knows he is hopeless, he knows he is helpless, and he's still scrambling to try and make do. And so what he does is he gets work with a pig farmer. Now this is as low as it gets. The rabbis had a saying, Cursed are those who herd pigs. Now, the son doesn't even herd pigs, own pigs. 
He works for someone that does this. This is exactly the Jewish mother's nightmare. It's the worst possible job you could ever imagine. I'm sure Jesus did this intentionally. No one would be able to say, well, I could think of something worse than being a helper to a Gentile pig herder. Good luck with that. So Jesus is showing us that this man is hit absolute rock bottom. He has absolutely nothing. And yet the interesting thing is he's still unable to acknowledge his own fault, his own lostness. He's still unable to acknowledge that he can't do it himself. Well, maybe if I just hurt a lot of pigs, I'll get there. He's still unable to acknowledge that he has failed, that he's put himself in this position because of who he is. He's still unable to acknowledge that he needs the Father. Remember, right now he's not going back. He's trying to work it out. And perhaps most importantly, he doesn't remember that the Father loves him. Because if he did, what would he do? He'd go back. But then something unusual and unexpected happens. Everyone is listening and they're expecting this to be a typical story. It's the kind of story that all of you have heard at one time or another from your dad. You've probably given this lecture as a dad. The way this story ends is this. Listen, son, you see what's happened here? He's working with the pigs. He wishes he could eat the pig food. You know what that means? Don't disrespect your father. Don't squander your inheritance. Then you won't have to eat like a pig. Right? We've all given that lecture in some varying form. Probably not with the pigs, but something else. That's what they're waiting for. It's a moral tale. What this boy has done is wrong. He should have done something different. If he would have, things would be better. But Jesus does something completely unexpected. Look what he does here in verse 17. He says, but when he came to himself, Jesus does not tell the moral story. He doesn't say this is what he should have done. This is what you should do. No, he says he came to himself and he understands at least partially who he is, that he is a sinner. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough? I will go to my father and I'll say, I'm not worthy to be your son, but I could be a servant. He remembers the relationship he had with his father. He says, I will go to my father. But he's still not home yet. Is he? Because you see, what we might miss here is he's still trying to work the problem. He still thinks it's up to him and his merit. You see, he says, my father's servants, they have how much bread? More than enough. I can go and I can work and I can save. And I can build it back up. And then when I can go to my father on my two feet, standing with cash in hand to say, Dad, here's the money back I lost. Take me back into your family. He still thinks he can do it. He still thinks he can get reconciled. And that is a temptation that comes to each and every one of us, isn't it? We think we need to balance the books with God. 
We think that we need to clean ourselves up to come to Him before He will accept us. And even if theologically, mentally, we understand the principle that God gives us salvation by grace, we still think that as we kind of mess things up, we need to rebalance the books with God. Get out of the pig slot. That's not how the world works. That's when we meet the second character in full. The Father. The Father shows us the cost. The cost of love and the cost of reconciliation. Now, the story of the Father actually begins back at the beginning. The Father loves His Son. He could have put His Son to death, but He didn't. He was insulted by His Son and demeaned by His Son. And He was willing to put up with that for His Son's sake. He was willing actually to give up on demand, this inheritance. Why would the Father do this? Because the Father knows the Son is already lost. The Father knows that His Son is more important than appearances. And we see this in the way that the Father acts as the Son returns. The Son turns himself around and comes to the Father. But look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion. The Son partially came to himself, right? Where's the Father been the whole time? Out on the front porch. Looking out on the horizon hoping and praying that His Son would return. The Father has never lost love for His Son. In spite of everything the Son has done, in spite of all the barriers the Son has put up, in spite of all of the damage to the relationship the Son has caused, the Father has not changed. He has borne that cost. He is willing to bear that burden. But that's not the only cost. There's also a cost of reconciliation. Have you ever wondered why the father sees the son and runs out to meet him? It's an embarrassing moment. You see, men, older men especially, in this day and age, did not run. Well, you know what that looks like. There's about an age, about 35, when men start to look silly and foolish, when they think they can sprint, right? And and even worse than that, the clothing of the days, you will recall, men don't wear pants in these days. And if you could imagine in your mind's eye, if you were at a wedding or a graduation and there were a group of lovely ladies standing around in beautiful gowns and dresses, and one of them said to the others, you know what we ought to do? Let's have a sprint. You would just laugh. How is somebody going to... You ladies know how you even walk in a dress quickly, let alone run. Well, a man of this day and age would have a cloak or a tunic that would be like a dress flowing down to their feet. And the only way that you could do that is to grab it from the bottom, pull it up as high as you can go, expose your legs, and run. And look ridiculous. Why... Does the Father do this? I think sometimes we think, well, He's just so happy He's lost Himself. 
But I think there's much more than that. You see, standard operating procedure, let's put it this way, the law would be that as the sun comes back to the village, the village would gather together and they would have an official formal ceremony and they would take most likely a clay-fired pot and fill it with burnt corn and grain and take it in front of the sun and break it in front of him and say, you are cut off from our village. You are not only cut off from your father. You are not only thrown out of the family. You may never come back in the village again. You are gone forever. You are dead to all of us. The father is so eager with compassion that he wants to get there before the ceremony is pulled together. He knows if he meets the son and in a public way is reconciled, everyone else will have no choice but to accept him back into the community. It is the father's love. It is the father's work. It is the father's decision that makes this reconciliation. He doesn't take a gallop poll. He doesn't see how others think. He runs and he comes to his son. And his son has this speech. You can just imagine. He's repeated it to himself a thousand times on the way there. You've done this, right, when you're trying to make a point. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it, how quickly you say it, what hand motions you use, where you look, what you're going to do. He's got this all scripted, and he can't get half of it out. But his father grabs him, hugs him, and kisses him. And the language here is that it's, it's the kind of kissing that you get when you haven't seen Nana in a while. You know when you're younger, you all know what I'm like when you have lipstick all over your face. That's what's happening here. The joy of the Father is such that He wants to lavish it upon His Son. It's not a reconciliation that is contingent upon repentance. It's not a reconciliation that's contingent on promises from the Son to do better. That's how we think about reconciliation. How many times has it happened to you when someone has wronged you and before you are reconciled with them, you say, well, I will talk to them. If they're willing to make things right, if they promise never to do it again, and if I think they're really, 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 really sorry, then we can be made right. You've done the other as well. Oh, mom, dad, listen. I will never, ever, 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 ever in my life do that again if you just forgive me. Oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other thing, and I promise I will never, ever do this or that or the other. That's human reconciliation. God takes the initiative. God lavishes His love. And he's willing to give more beyond anything that has ever been asked. The son is coming, hoping to be a servant, hoping to be able to work his way back into God's graces. And the father says, give him the robe, the best robe we have. Whose robe is that going to be? It's going to be the father's. And he says, stick it on him. You know, the dirty, stinking, pig slop boy. Put the best robe on him. Why? Because he's my boy. Give him the ring. Why? 
because he's a part of the family. I want him to know that he belongs to us. Give him a celebration. Put shoes on his feet. He is no longer a slave. You see, the irony here is the son is the one who is supposed to come bearing gifts to pay the debt. And all of the gifts come from where? The father. That's when we see the third person in our story. The elder son. Now, we can't forget that the elder son has been there the whole time too. He doesn't just show up fully grown. No. He was there when his brother went to his father with the unreasonable demand. And it's interesting. What does he say in that moment? Nothing. His job as the elder brother would be to mediate the situation. His job would be the one to say, everybody calm down. You don't mean that, brother. Father, we're sorry he's insulted you. Let's let's sit down and take a pause and see if we can fix this. This is exactly what we see in Jacob's sons dealing with Jacob as Benjamin is lost in Egypt. We have Reuben and we have Judah promising that they'll give their own sons their own lives if they can't fix it. That's the job of the elder brother. But he's nowhere to be found. Why? Because he could care less about the younger brother. And we're going to find out in a moment, he doesn't even care for the father. He's just a cleaned up version of a lost younger son. You see, he's just as lost. He doesn't know what it means to be a son. In verse 27, he sees what is going on. And he asks someone to tell him what is happening. And the servant says, your brother's come home. And your father has received him safe and sound. The irony here is is that that language, received, safe and sound, is almost exactly what Jesus is being accused of doing. Receiving sinners. You see how it takes us back to the question? And there's great rejoicing because of it. So what is the reaction of the elder brother? Is he joyous at the return of his brother? Is he at least joyous that his father is now relieved? He won't have to go on the porch every day and look until his eyes are bleary and until he's upset. No. He responds in verse 28 with explosive rage. The text says he was angry. The word there is explosive rage. I want you to picture the elder brother completely red-faced and angry. This is throwing things around the house. Angry. He can't believe what is going on. He is offended beyond all belief. And he is so angry, he then scandalizes his father as badly as his brother did. There's a feast going on of celebration. The whole village is there. Except who? The brother. Everybody knows the brother's missing. Imagine what's going on in the midst of this feast. Well, where's the brother? Oh, he's outside. You don't want to go out there. He's liable to punch you. I'm telling you. Why is he so angry? I don't know, but I'm telling you, he's angry. And so the father would again be within his rights to send some servants to physically grab the son and bring him into the celebration. The father is the one who is in charge here. 
But what does the Father do? In mercy and compassion and grace, He goes out to this elder brother who is just as insulting, just as hostile as the younger brother. The only difference is, quite frankly, He looks and smells better. Looking and smelling will not get you to the Father. He's still separated from the Father. And he pleads with the Son, come in and celebrate with us. You should be a part of this. And the Son, the one who has done the right thing, the one who is the perfect good one, looks at his Father and with no term of respect, I imagine in my mind's eye, taking his finger and pointing it in his Father's face. Look! I've done everything you've ever asked of me. I've checked all the boxes. I've done everything to earn what I have. And you won't even give me a stinking goat so I can go out and have a party with my buddies. Seriously? Why are you giving all this to my brother? Doesn't think anything at all about what was lost. Doesn't think anything at all about what was found. Doesn't even think anything at all about his father. You can make a strong argument that his speech to his father is more insulting than his brother's. The difference is he has things that he can point to that he thinks make him valuable and worthy. He thinks he has earned it. But he's just as lost. Then Jesus does one final thing that's interesting. Do you notice it? He doesn't end the story. Do you see that? After the brother's speech, he simply repeats what the brother already knows. That we're celebrating because my son that was lost is found. He reiterates to the older brother that he is his son. All that I have is yours. All that is mine is yours. And he says, it is fitting that we celebrate. Actually, the Greek is stronger. It is necessary for us to celebrate because that's what we do. People who lose coins must celebrate finding them. People who lose sheep must celebrate finding them. People who are the Lord's must celebrate when a lost one is found. But you see, we don't get the brother's answer, do we? Why do you think that is? Well, it's because of verse 2. Do you see that? It's because Jesus has, through a marvelous word picture, set this up for the Pharisees. He may as well have said, you're the older brother. Why don't you rejoice? That same statement comes to us. Do we rejoice when someone who's lost is found? Are we eager to help find those who are lost? Or are we happy that everything is in order and everything works properly and we look good? Will you be found? Will you be found embracing the Father? Will you be found Knowing your own need. Will you be found embracing the grace that comes from the Father? Will you know that it is necessary to celebrate? What is your ending? Jesus challenges you with that right now. To follow after Him. 
to rejoice in what He rejoices, to know that by faith your relationship with the Father can never be separated, that you need not earn it, that it is a waste of time to try. It is the height of foolishness. It's like thinking you can roll out of the pig pen and save enough money to pay off the inheritance. This is the call that Jesus gives to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You challenge us. You speak sharply to us when we need it. We thank You, Lord, that You remind us that we need the love of the Father. That we cannot lose the love of the Father. And that we cannot earn the love of the Father. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.